Hello and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Our messages are designed to help teach and equip you on your journey to lead people to follow Christ. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage you no matter where you are in your journey towards Jesus. If you have questions, want to talk, or want to learn more about Summit, visit us at summitniles.com. Take your Bibles this morning, turn them on, open them up to the Old Testament. 2 Samuel chapter 9 is our text this morning, and and that's where we're going to uh, begin our reading. If you're joining us here in the worship center or online, um, either place, we are glad we are glad that you're here. While you're finding 2 Samuel chapter 9, let me just encourage you with this. We have been working together with Life Plan and the Baby Bottle Drive, a few weeks of just collecting loose change. And that totaled a little over $3,000 that was collected in baby bottles that loose change was able to go to Life Plan. And so because you gave... Because you um, participated in that way, uh, a little over $3,000. Congratulate yourself. Uh, You did good. Thank you. Another reason that the kingdom advances in our community, because you gave. Now, turn your attention this morning to the message for today, and we're talking about kindness. Kindness. We live in a world where people care more, oftentimes care more about themselves than others around them. And it's not surprising. Uh, We are naturally selfish. It's a result of our sinful nature when it comes to kindness. Many times we're more concerned about ourselves than we care about the needs of others. Our lives tend to to spin on the axis of of ourselves and, and who we are and and our concerns and um, so kindness is one of those things that in some ways runs contrary to uh, the the ways of the world but kindness also is one of the fruits of the spirit galatians chapter 5 talks about that this is for the flesh the flesh desires the earthly things what is contrary to the spirit the spirit what is contrary to the flesh they're conflict with each other so that but he says they're, 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 you're not to do whatever you want to do, that if you're walking by the Spirit, you, you need to be controlled by and, and, and influenced by the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 then lists the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. If you know it, say it with me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And did you see in that list kindness? We're talking about kindness today. It's one of God's distinguishing characteristics. In fact, the Bible tells us to be kind to one another. Kindness is the quality of being friendly, generous, considerate. It's, It's being selfless, caring, compassionate. Giving priority to the needs of others before your own. We need the Holy Spirit of God to help us do that. Because apart from that, we want to take care of ourselves. Kindness is one of the ways that love is expressed to others. Kindness carries the idea of, of practically 
in practical ways, helping others. One dictionary defines kindness as humane, tender, compassionate, sympathetic attitudes toward others with a willingness to do good. Kindness, I think, often is evident behind the scenes. Someone who cannot take care of themselves or help themselves or needs some help, and somebody comes along behind the scenes and they're kind. It suggests that quality that was, was looked for in an ideal servant, someone who was willing to serve, someone who would be of help or of service to you, someone who is kind. In the Old Testament, there's a word that is translated from the Hebrew to English. Um, it's the word hesed, which is, is the word that we translate kindness, but in some ways, it, it's hard to, to translate into an English word um, um, to, to encompass all that it means. It, it has a broad meaning, a full meaning, often translated steadfast love, faithfulness, loyalty, graciousness. Um, we, we, we simply um, in, interpreted the word kindness. It's, it's favor, grace. Um, that is being disposed, disposed, uh, bestowed. Uh, mercy, this word is translated, this root of this word is, is translated mercy in several cases. It's also translated loving kindness. Um, uh, more than 40 times this word is translated in, in, into English Scripture to, to simply be kindness. It's, it's the kindness of God. So I want you to see and understand kindness from a biblical example here in 2 Samuel chapter 9. Read with me, verse 1, David, this is King David, David asked, is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba, and they summoned him to appear before David and the king and said to him, are you Ziba? Ziba. At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There's still a son of Jonathan. He's lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He's at the house of Mekur, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So, King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Macri, son of Amiel. And when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to honor him. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you'll always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. 
Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. And so Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. Jonathan was King Saul's son. He was a friend with David. And yet, even though one would think that one of Saul's sons would follow him as king, God had ordained that David would be the next king of Israel. Jonathan realized that David was one day going to be king instead of him, and because of his friendship, he asked David to show kindness to his family when he became king. Jonathan said, I want you to to show the same kind of kindness to my family that the Lord has shown to you. In fact, he knew, Jonathan knew, David knew that God had shown kindness to David in preserving his life in in numerous situations, in numerous numerous times, in numerous over, over numerous situations. So now, many years later, David has been established as king and remembers the commitment that he made to Jonathan, and his intention is that he wants to keep that commitment to honor the friendship that he had with Jonathan. So King David, he asks around, he said, listen, is there anyone who, who is still left in Saul's house to whom I can show kindness? I'm doing this for Jonathan's sake. Ziba, a, a servant of Saul's household, is summoned before the king, and, and he identifies the fact that Jonathan is still alive, or that Jonathan uh, has a son who's still alive. His name was Mephibosheth. Now, interesting enough, in, in 2 Samuel, there are two uh, men that are identified with that same name, Mephibosheth. One of them was Saul's son, and the other one was his, would be his grandson. The, the less prominent one was the son of Saul, and Uh, his son, Saul's son, was one of those that was delivered by David to the Gibeonites. Remember that there had been a treaty that was made with the Gibeonites, and then Saul had had gone back on that that commitment, and and there was a a curse against God's people. They had not honored that covenant. It was with the Gibeonites. And to appease for that, David delivered to the Gibeonites um, uh, some some sons of Saul, and they, they actually were they lost their lives um, because of their fathers uh, going back on that covenant. Now, the other uh, Mephibosheth is the one that we're talking about here. He was the son of Jonathan. So Jonathan and Mephibosheth, were, were, they were sons to, uh, of, of King Saul. And then Jonathan had his own son, whom he named Mephibosheth. Um, Jonathan, though, was killed in battle. And when, uh, when Meshibapheth was only five years old, fearing that the Philistines would also seek to take the life of, of that young boy, a nurse fled with him to Gibeah. Tragically, in her haste to get Mephibosheth out of the way of harms, um, you know, the, the Philistine army that could be coming after him, he was dropped and his feet were injured and he was lame from five years um, all his life. He was carried to the land of of Gilead, where he was found re- refuge in the house of Mekur, son of Amiel, in a place called Lodabar. Now, David brings 
He finds out the fact that Jonathan has a son, a descendant of Saul. Jonathan, his son Mephibosheth, is still alive. He brings him to the palace. He tells him, he said, I'm going to show you kindness. I'm going to show this kindness to you because of the relationship that I had with your father. And he welcomed Mephibosheth into his house. He said he would always eat at his table. He returned the land that was rightfully his to him, belonged to his grandfather Saul. He returned it to him. And in fact, he assigned Ziba, Saul's steward, family to take care of him. And there was quite a few brother, uh, sons and, and servants that were there to help take care of him. Now, Mephibosheth could not take care of himself. In fact, he had been crippled since he was five years old. There was no way he could take care of himself, but he also was unable to take care of others. And King David knew that perfectly well, and yet he showed kindness to him. In fact, David gave Mephibosheth, he gave him a family, he, he invited him to a feast, and he also offered him a future. I want to stop here long enough to show you something that I think is true of you and me, and I think it's where the gospel comes into the story. And I think it's a place where you also find yourself in this story because this story is about you and it's about me. You see, we all were like Mephibosheth, <laughs> wrecked, dropped on our spiritual heads, injured. Worse than that, we were dead in sin because we're descendants of Adam. We couldn't help ourselves. We could not help others. We could not help God. We were alone. We were lost without future because of our past, wrecked, useless, broken, abused, ruined. Bad enough that we ruin ourselves. Even worse, when someone else drops you accidentally or intentionally. Mephibosheth was dropped. His, his life forever maimed because of that injury. Sometimes there are things in our life that because of the fault of someone else in, we experience injury. Some of the wreckage we have to deal with in our life is not our fault. It's because someone else did wrong. Even so, you and I have to deal with it. Maybe it wasn't your fault, but it's part of the luggage that you carry through life. We all have baggage, we all have garbage from what we've done, but that's something else from the burdens that we carry because of what others may have done that affected us. Mephibosheth, his lifelong, one of his lifelong burdens was he, he was lame because someone dropped him. But I want you to hear in, in, in this story the gospel that Jesus saves, that Jesus keeps, that he provides in, in more ways um, than, than one. David ministered to Mephibosheth in, in more ways than, than David ministered to him. God ministers to us. He brings us from the obscurity into the light of his kingdom. He provides for our needs. He promises us that we will not be alone. He provides a future for us. He promotes us as sons and daughters invited to sit at his table. He sets us at, at a feast 
at the banquet table of the Almighty. Jesus is our servant who has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. Jesus handles the sin that we've committed, and he also is able to deal with the sins that others have committed with us, uh, against us. You see the loving kindness of God to you this morning? That he's given you a family. He, he has given you a feast. He has given you a future. And do you see, I want you to notice in chapter 9, the last words of this chapter. It was mentioned during the chapter, but the last words of chapter 9, he was lame in both feet. Lame in both feet. Yeah? So are we. We have feet of clay. And if you want another word picture on this, the song that simply says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. (laughs) Talk about feet of clay. So, as we clomp through life, the, the only way that there's ever a graceful step in our lives is because of the loving kindness of God. Loving kindness. And God knows it, but His loving kindness is still extended to you. Now, none of us in this life, um, we are being perfected. <laughs> We're being perfected. It's an already, not yet, kind of venture. Our bodies will never be completely perfect in this life like they will be in heaven. We're in the land of the dying, headed to the land of the living. Our character is being perfected and transformed in this life, but we'll never be completely perfect like like we will be in heaven living in a perfect place. Our will is being perfected in this life, but who can deny the battle that we still face? We need God's help. In fact, the Bible says at one point we were enemies of God. Romans 5.10, we were enemies of God. Even though we were enemies, God, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. And how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? (laughs) And then Luke 6, verse 35, I think then becomes even more important to us, means more, because the example of God's love for us and, 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 and Christ's service to us is amazing. It says, love your enemies, do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and the, and the wicked. We are grateful for God's kindness to us. Do you know that what God did for you and me and what Christ did for you and me isn't so that He could feel better about Himself? <laughs> Showing kindness to someone who is not worthy of kindness is not something you do to feel better about yourself. Real kindness is what we do for someone who needs help. And I love David's response here. It's beautiful. He's not concerned with how badly Jonathan's son is injured. It's mentioned two times in that short passage that he was lame in both feet. David feet. David doesn't um, focus on that. He's not concerned with how it happened. He doesn't care about the circumstances that caused him to need kindness to be shown to him. He is concerned about where he is. I, I want you to see this. Look at verse 5. King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. He was willing to bring him up from that place. Now, watch this. Lodabar was a town. It's only mentioned a few times in Scripture. Many scholars assume it's the same town as, as Deber mentioned um, in, in Joshua, the book of Joshua in, in, in a few places, the city of Canaan, 
one of the cities of Canaan, where Joshua destroyed um, that place. You can read about that in Joshua chapter 10. The town name means pasture or sheepfold. Located, if, if that wasn't, um, you know, as we, as we look at the name, it's pasture or sheepfold, but the, the low in front of it is, is basically the prefix is a, 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 a negator. So in other words, the, the term low debar would mean no pasture, no sheepfold. Fold. It, it's, not a, it's, it's not a thing. It's it's it is not a good place and and so a place that has that name that is also lo- located in the valley of akur which is also a place of affliction and trouble in fact the valley of akur that if you if you study back you realize that's where achan and his 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 family and his belongings his livestock were stoned to death because God had said, when you destroy the city of Jericho, I want you to, 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 to make sure that all things are consecrated to the Lord. But Achan took some of the devoted things and he hid them in the sand under his tent. He thought he could hide his sin from God. And they came in and there was a, there was a, a the, the nation Israel was beginning to experience defeat and, and they sensed the curse against them. Who, where is this sin coming from? And when they came to Achan's tent, they found those devoted things hidden in the sand underneath the tent. And, and a consequence of his sin, he, was, he and his family, his, his livestock, his animals were taken out and, and, and they, they died under a pile of rocks. And that's where Mephibosheth was living, in the valley of Achor, in a town called Lodabar, meaning <laughs> there's no pasture here, there's no, no fields here, no sheepfolds there. In, in, in English, we might say, well, it was the middle of nowhere. It was a town located in the Valley of Trouble. And it was the only place where uh, this surviving son of Jonathan, son of King Saul, was living. And, he, and, and yet, David said, I want to show kindness to Jonathan's family. He was told about where he was living. It says he brought him up. He brought him from Nothingville, Lodabar and moved him into the king's residence in Jerusalem. That, folks, that's what's, what's called moving from podunk to the palace. Right? I believe God is still able to move people from podunk to the palace. By the way, Saul named one of his sons um, Ish-bosheth, which simply means man of shame. You can read about that in, in Samuel chapter 2, verse 8. Um, Ishbosheth, which means man of shame, his son Jonathan named his son Mephibosheth, which means destroying shame. He was living in a desolate place, and David brings him to the palace so he could minister to his needs and show him kindness. He gave him back the land that belonged to his family. He gave him a place at his table as a member of the family. His position was given back to him. He was now treated with dignity. Have you noticed how sin destroys the dignity of people and God wants people to be what he intended them to be, to be a daughter, to be a son with a heritage and a future. Too many times today when we look at some of the things that are happening in the cities in our nation, we're seeing a homeless population where sin, circumstances, um, the lack of kindness is stealing their dignity. You say, well, 
But how many of these people are in situations because of their own doing? You see, I'm not sure that mattered to David. Aren't you glad that didn't matter to God? We were all in situations that were bad because of our own doing. There may be situations that we're in that are bad because of the, the, the doings of other people, but for sure all of us have experienced, um, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. His property was restored, belonged to each family as their inheritance from God, and they, when they were entering the promised land, it had been taken from him, now it was restored. It was important because it was given to them by God, and therefore no one had the right to take it away from them. You and I do not have the right to take away the image of God that he has on any individual because we have refused to offer them kindness. So, now here's where we go horizontal with kindness. Ephesians 4.32 says this, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. The kindness that we show to others is a reflection of the kindness that God has shown to us. He demonstrated kindness to us by giving us help in our time of need, grace and mercy instead of judgment for our sins. Ernest Holmes, in his writing, Art of Giving, wrote this. He said, one talent we all possess is the ability to be kind. We possess the ability to be kind. And if you're a Christian, and the Spirit of God is living within you, and the fruit of the Spirit is, is, is being produced in you, one of those things that God wants to do in you and through you is, is, is for you to produce the gift of kindness. To be well disposed toward others in using this talent, this gift, we need not wait for a great event since all around us there are those who need a bit of human kindness to make them feel like they belong. Here's some things about kindness that you need to know. One, it's going to take some time. Kindness takes time. King David was thinking. Somehow this was in his mind. He, 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 was, he was true to his commitments and his convictions and he said listen there's something that i promised a friend there's something that before god i i agreed to there's something that as christians we agree to when we take the name of christ we become christians and we invite his spirit to live within us that he will produce this fruit there's there's an owning of that it's it's a responsibility king david realized that he began to think about that it took some time it took some time for him to find out to ask the right questions listen how can i put myself in a place where I can make good on the commitment that I made to, to, to show kindness to Jonathan. It took time. He had to think that through. He had, to, he had to take steps. What do you do in your life that puts you in a place where kindness can come out through you? What are you thinking about? Who are you thinking about? What, what direction of your thought, what direction of your time, what direction of, of your energy is it going to take? It's going to take time. It's going to take intentionality. King David had to, had to do something about what he was being prompted to do. How many times have we been prompted to do something kind? Sometimes it's because of lack of fear. Sometimes it's busyness. Sometimes, you know, not, not every thought that comes into my mind do I need to, to act on it. It's, it's, I, need to, I need to weigh it out. It's like, you know, some of the things that, that God tells, um, well, that people tell me God told them was his will. I don't believe it all. <laughs> Um, God told me to tell you this. Well, so, so it, it's like a vision. Uh, you know, a, 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 a God, you know, how, how do you get a vision from God? 
and, and then when you have a vision, then after that you have to test that vision. Not every idea that's popped into my mind has been God's will. I had to, okay, well, that's a good idea, but that's not for me right now, and whatever. So you have to test it, and then you have to, you have to um, not only test it, but you have to, you, you, is this something that we can communicate? Is this, is this a vision that God, so you communicate, and then a vision that you have to implement. And so here's intentionality where you, you say, okay, listen, God, this is, this is something, yeah, it's past those tests, it's, it's fitting. And you can do those, sometimes it takes you a little while, sometimes it's just split-second decisions. God prompts you to do something, is this, is this him, or is this, you know, um, a crazy idea I had, is this more about me, or is this, you know, because sometimes, sometimes w- w- there's an impulse to do something, and you find, man, that's pretty fleshly. I'm going to do that because, you know, that's going to make me look good, versus I'm going to do something because God moved me to do it. So you check your motives and, you know, and then you accomplish the mission. There's intentionality and there's investment. King David gave back to Jonathan's son what, what he was now in charge of. He, he, he was welcome to the table. David was helping to provide for Mephibosheth. Investment. Kindness takes time. It takes intentionality. It takes investment. And you know what? Some of that investment is going to be emotional investment. The heart of God, the compassion of God. Do you, is, is there is a compassion that moves, moves us to, to action? There's practical kind of aspects here. Can you stop and say, listen, well, I see that here's a need and, and they're headed this way. Well, obviously, they're going to need this, and so there's some kindness that I can provide, and, um, and, and, I, and I see where this person is, and it's just going to be kind for me to, to, you know, to, to stop and to help them um, or to, to encourage them along the way. Or um, when, when I see the mission that they're on, and it's, it's tough, and they're having a bad day, and maybe, maybe, maybe they, they weren't easy to love. Maybe they were hard against you, but he said, listen, I'm still going to be kind to them. There's a practical piece. It's timely. There are times when the act of kindness needs to be done in the moment. If you don't, if you don't take that advantage or that opportunity, it'll, it'll flee. Um, it's something that, he said, listen, I, I've done my, my act of kindness this year, right? Check it off my list. But what is it when it comes to frequency? The fruit of the Spirit is bubbling up in me, and so there's this kindness that, I'm, that continues to flow out of me. Kindness. It's one of the most powerful tools we have as Christians to show the world that God loves them. We're His hands, His feet, we're His voices. Demonstrate the love of God to those around them. The road leading people to follow Jesus in the mission, often the gift of kindness is one of the tickets that gets punched leading to people to God's grace that ended up saving them for eternity. I'm going to invite the worship team to come and lead us in our last song. We're not going to sing this hymn today, but as I was thinking about this message, I want to share two things, this hymn, and then I want to share a story. The hymn that came to my mind 
there was a phrase of this hymn that I remembered, and I looked up the hymn, and, I, and I'll share those, all the verses with you. It's just simply the old hymn that says, Oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, my constant longing and prayer. Gladly I'll forfeit all of earth's treasures, Jesus, thy perfect likeness to wear. Listen to this. Oh, to be like thee, full of compassion, loving, forgiving, tender, and kind. Helping the helpless, cheering the fainting, seeking the wandering sinner to find. Oh, to be like thee, lowly in spirit, holy and harmless, patient and brave, meekly enduring cruel reproaches, willing to suffer others to save. Oh, to be like thee, Lord, I'm coming. Now to receive the anointing divine. You see, we need the fruit of God's Spirit. We need the Spirit of God living within us to produce this kindness, this fruit that can flow from us to others. All that I am and all that I have, I'm bringing. Lord, from this moment, all shall be thine. Oh, to be like thee while I am pleading, pour out your Spirit, fill with thy love, make me a temple, meet for thy dwelling, fit me for life in heaven above. Oh, to be like thee. Oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, pure as thou art, come in thy sweetness. Come in thy fullness. Stamp thine own image deep on my heart. Kindness. I wonder for you, where does kindness start? Does kindness need to start even with you being kind to yourself? Does kindness need to continue with a kindness to those closest to you? A spouse, a child, a parent, a grandparent, great-grandparent. If you're thinking about kindness and how God might use you, who comes to mind? What name does God put on your heart? What face comes to mind? Who can you be kind to? Matthew Walker, in his book, Life is Messy, he tells this story. He said, many years ago, I was on my way home from work. A friend came to mind. It occurred to me that I hadn't heard from him for a few days. I knew that he'd been having a rough time. I had no idea what led me to do it, but I drove to his place on the other side of town to visit him. When he opened the door, he looked horrible. The place was dark. There was trash everywhere. Opened a few curtains to let some light in. Opened a few windows just to get some air circulating. I suggested that he shave and take a shower. I told him I'd, I'd order a pizza and I took that time to tidy up a bit. He resisted for a moment, but then said, I said, come on, you'll feel better. And when you're done, the pizza will be here. So we sat on his front porch eating pizza and telling stories. And when we were done, I just drove home. The next day, I opened my mailbox to find this handwritten note from him. He was the author 
of the note and the mailman. He dropped it off in my box. Here's what it said. Thanks for your kindness. My plan was that I was going to kill myself last night. But then you stopped by just to say hello. I thought to myself, somebody does care. So, thank you for your kindness. Who is God leading you to be kind to? As you remember God's kindness to you. Think about it. If every one of us took this message and put feet to it this week, all of the people that would experience kindness and what difference it might make in our world. So Lord, as we leave this place and become your church in the world, go with us. As we go, you go with us. Your spirit empowers us, producing this fruit of kindness. Give us opportunities, O oh Lord. Make us aware. Give us courage to step into that place of need. Help us to be on mission this week. We go in your blessing. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Summit Church Podcast. Again, if you have questions, visit us at summitniles.com. Now go and be the church in the world.